All right, let's take our Bibles this morning and we're going to turn to the book of 1 John. Um, we sang all four verses of that last hymn and, and that's okay, that's great. Um, I hope that you haven't been, at least recently, haven't been to that point where you think you were better dead, uh, like Elijah who prayed for God to take him. And I'm so glad sometimes... Uh, I read a book one time, a little booklet, it's called something about when God, the blessing of unanswered prayer. <laughs> of course, God always answers, but he sometimes the answer is no, and some, I'm sure Elijah was glad afterwards, probably Jonah too, uh, that God didn't take him. Um, you know, Paul, the apostle expressed, he, he, was, he was in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. That's not depression or discouragement or fatalism, it's a simple fact. It is better to be with the Lord. But then Paul said, but for me to abide here is more needful for you. And so we need to leave all those things in God's hands. First John chapter 1, it's a short chapter, so I'd like to read the whole chapter. And then we'll pray and get into the message this morning on, again, the elements of prayer. So follow along, please. First John chapter 1. That which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this opportunity that we have to look into thy word today and again to consider the great subject of prayer. And Father, help us by the Holy Spirit. We're thankful that, that both the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit make intercession for us. And so we pray for both of their help today, and especially the Spirit of God, to take the Word of God and apply it to our hearts. And we pray for thy blessing, Lord, and for thy help. In Jesus' name, amen. Part of praying is confessing. In the model prayer that Jesus gave when his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, he said to them, he instructed them, and one of those verses was this, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, in, in the scripture, the word debts there, as it's used here 
is referring to our sins. You know, there's a lot of different words for sin in the Bible. Each of them has a special meaning. And the one for debts is that our sins are more moral and spiritual debts that we owe to God or to God's righteousness and holiness. And so uh, the Lord there instructed the disciples, first of all, to confess their sin, forgive our sins, our debts, and then as we forgive others. And so um, the Bible tells us also that uh, Jesus warned his disciples and the people that if they did not have a forgiving spirit toward others, that that would hinder God forgiving them. And we're going to take a look at that, that particular forgiveness as we get through the message. Now, in this particular passage, we see in 1 John 1, 9, the word confess. If we confess our sins, the word confess means to acknowledge, to agree, to admit, to declare. Some have described it this way. It means to speak after or to speak the same thing. And so when we confess our sins, we are uh, we're admitting them. We're also uh, agreeing with God when we confess our sin. This word has, it also means to declare, by the way. So this word has three primary applications in the scripture. It's number one, to make a profession of allegiance. The Bible talks about confessing Christ. So we're going to look at that. Um, second, it's to make an admission of wrongdoing. Father, I have sinned, and, and we confess our sins, which is going to be the main emphasis today. And then thirdly, there is a, the, the confession also has the idea to make an emphatic declaration of truth. For example, when the, the people came to John the Baptist and said, Art thou the Christ? He said he denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. So there's that kind of confession declaring truth. Now we're mostly concerned today or interested in confession of, uh, of sin. So let's go to Romans 10. All right, Romans chapter 10. We're going to take a look at what the Bible calls, what Paul wrote as confession unto salvation. Now that's a little different than Christians confessing their sins, but it certainly is part of confession. In fact, uh, for the unsaved, the first appropriate prayer that they make is the confession of being a sinner and asking Christ to save them and then confessing him as Savior, confessing him as Lord. So Romans chapter 10, notice there it says this in verse 8, But what saith it? This is going back to the book of Deuteronomy. The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. So Paul was writing to the, to the believers at Rome, and they'd already been saved. In fact, if you go back to Romans chapter 1, we won't turn there right now, but Paul commended them because they were already declaring the word of God. In fact, the Bible says he commended them that their faith was spoken of throughout the whole world. Right, so they were already involved in the ministry of the gospel. And then he says, here's the word of faith. In other words, the message of saving faith, which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, Thou shalt be saved, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. All right, so 
here in verses 9 and 10, the Apostle Paul reminds the believers in Rome and reminds everybody that there is salvation involves confess and believe. Now in verse 9, he has, he has confess and believe. In verse 10, he has believe and confess. All right, because really that's the order. We believe and then we confess. But he says this, confess with thy mouth. So it is a, it is a verbal confession. And what do, we, what do we confess? The Lord Jesus. In other words, the fact that he is the Lord. And part of that too is confessing him as our Savior. And that we need him and that we believe in him as our Savior. Um, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And so believing in the heart, and the heart and the word believe is the, is, the, is the most often used word in the New Testament for faith, to believe, to trust, and to have confidence, to rely, these kinds of things. And so believe in thine heart. The heart here refers to our innermost being, the seat of emotion, intellect, will, um, it is not a mere acknowledgement. In other words, it's not just up here. You know, people often talk about the difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge. And I've read track. There's a track somebody wrote about missing heaven by 18 inches, the distance between your head and your heart. Now, of course, it's not referring to heart. doesn't mean the part that pumps blood. But it's the innermost being. It's what makes us who we are. In fact, the heart and spirit in the Bible refer to that part of us that can respond to God. And here it's for salvation. And so to believe in the heart means to put our absolute trust in him and in his resurrection. So notice that the resurrection of Christ is essential to the gospel. Um, a dead Savior still in the grave is no Savior. There is no salvation apart from the resurrection of Christ. In just a few weeks, we're going to be observing Resurrection Sunday. We'll be looking at many of those great scriptures. And uh, Paul said that if the, if the dead rise not, then Christ is not risen. If Christ is not risen, your faith is vain. We're, you are yet in your sins. And so that's an awful thing to think about. And so, it is, it is absolute belief and trust with all of our heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Again, the resurrection of Christ in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul sets forth the elements, the essential gospel. It's Christ died for our sins, according to Scripture, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to Scriptures, and that he was seen, and lists all those eyewitnesses of his resurrection. And so if we have opportunity, and when you have opportunity to tell somebody about the gospel, about Christ, you have to tell them about his resurrection. You've got to tell them that the, he rose from the grave and, and they have to believe that and they have to confess Christ and so the prayer and then down to verse, uh, verse 10 for with the heart the innermost being man believeth unto righteousness now when a person believes in Christ trusts him as savior that person receives the imputed righteousness of Christ that's a whole other wonderful subject. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So it's with the mouth, the prayer of a lost person, repenting, confessing, and acknowledging Christ as Savior, praying for salvation. As we get down to verse 
13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so folks, that's the first confession a person needs to make. Confessing their need of Christ. Confessing him as Savior. Calling upon the name of the Lord. Well then along with that is um, back in Matthew chapter 10, there is confession of Christ before men. All right? Confession of Christ before men, Matthew chapter 10. <clears throat> All right, Matthew chapter 10. Jesus said there in verse 32, Whosoever, therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father, which is in heaven. Now this is not directly related to the subject of prayer and confessing of sin, but it goes in line with what the scripture says about confessing. We first have to personally confess Christ as Savior. We've already talked about that. But then Jesus said we also need to confess him before men. That is, openly profess acknowledge that he is our Savior. Open, public confession of Christ as our Savior and Lord. And of course, Jesus talked about, in the same book of Matthew, chapter 5, he said, verse 16, Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So we need to confess him with our lives as well as with our lips. All right? But we need to speak up for him and let people know that we belong to him. Him will I also confess. Here's the, here's the great promise. Him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. He will acknowledge us. He will claim us. Hebrews 11 talks about those saints of old. God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he hath provided for them a city. And so I also can't help but think about the fact that Christ confessing us before the Father would also involve his intercession for us. Praying for us before the Father. And then look, notice the warning. But whosoever, verse 33... Whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father, which is in heaven. Now the word deny here is a very strong word. In fact, there's times in the Bible where it's used of a Christian denying ungodliness, and that's a good thing. But to deny Christ, it means to renounce, to repudiate, to disown. The idea is of a continual, lifelong denial and resistance of Christ. Now Peter, here's a, here's a contrast. Peter denied the Lord three times. But he didn't continue in that denial. In fact, Jesus had confronted him, he confessed, he, and he went on, and Jesus used him in his service. So it's not talking about a child of God who occasionally denies the Lord. I think if we're honest, and there's times I've kicked myself, oh man, I let that opportunity go by. <laughs> you know, I'm sure we've all done that. We've all failed to stand up for the Lord when we could have or should have. And so it's not talking about that. It's just talking about a constant denial of him 
repaying him, renouncing him. I mean, and I mean, Peter did that too, didn't he? He said, I don't know him. I, I, I don't know him. But he, he repented of that. He didn't continue in that state of denial. Then Jesus said, those, him, will I also deny before my Father, which is in heaven. Now, ultimately, Matthew 7 refers to the time when Jesus will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Right? And so, um, we, need, we need to be very careful. That. And if there's somebody here today and you've never, you've never trusted Christ as Savior, you've never confessed him as Lord, you need to do that. You need to make sure. It's a, it's a specific thing. It is a definite profession of faith in the Lord Jesus. It is a calling upon the name of the Lord, which again, calling the name of the Lord means everything that he is, everything he stands for, everything he possesses, and everything he provides. It's all in the name. Call upon the name. You know, Jesus, Savior. So we call upon him. We also need to confess him. It's always important. People in this area, this community, this area, this state, this country, this world uh, needs to know that there are people who love Jesus Christ, who believe in him, and who walk with him, and who stand for him, and live for him. We need, we need to do that. All right, so then let's go to 1 John, back to 1 John chapter 8, and the main point of the message, these are very important points, all three of them, but we are dealing with the elements of prayer. So let's take a look at the third thing today, confession of sin. It seems like of all the things that are written about today, this is a big one. Um, there's a lot of stuff out there regarding the, the Christian and sin. All right. So, uh, Paul, yeah, Peter, Paul, John. We'll get there. Like my grandmother, she used to go down the list till she got to the right one, and we used to make fun of her. So here now I'm, we're doing the same thing. But John, First John, chapter one. I got I got Peter and Paul on my mind because of their, the things they confessed uh, to the Lord. Anyway, First um, John chapter one. John writes, first he writes about two serious, well, three serious errors, all right? Uh, one of them is found in verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. See, confess him with our lives as well as our lips. So if we claim to walk in the light, in other words, if we claim that we're in fellowship with Christ and we're walking in darkness, we're walking in sin, he says we lie. Not strong language, but he says we lie and do not the truth. In other words, we're not practicing the truth. All right, very important. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. And the word cleanseth, you notice that? Cleanseth us from all sin. The tense of that in the original language means continually or keeps on cleansing. Some people ask me, and one of the questions I probably get from new Christians, and we could use a bunch of them, um, new Christians that say, well, uh, can I, will I, will I still sin after I'm saved? Sometimes they ask me that before they even pray, 
and the Antichrist is one of them. And so um, I say, yes, you, you can sin and you probably will sin. Well, then do I have to get saved every time? No. You, this is talking about sin after we're saved. We're to confess and receive cleansing. And we're going to de- dig into that more in just a little bit. So that's where the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, continues to cleanse us. When we are saved, positionally in Christ, we, we all of our sins are forgiven. Past, present, and future as far as salvation but there's another aspect to practical, everyday living, where as a believer, yes, we can sin. And when we do, we need to confess that to the Lord. Okay, And we're getting, we're, we'll get into that in a little more details in just a moment. But let's look at two other serious errors that are being proclaimed today. I've talked to people. And there's a guy out there, I'll mention his name in a minute. Verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. A couple of errors that have been proclaimed for centuries. The first one is that a Christian can attain sinless perfection where they have no sin. But it's more than that. The, The idea that to say we have no sin would deny the sin nature. And there's a lot of that out there today. Supposedly this guy pastors the largest church in the world over in Korea. His name is Joseph Prince. I don't know if you've heard that name. He denies the sin nature. He said when we are saved, we no longer have a flesh. We no longer have a sin nature. That's a lie from the scripture. That's a lie from from the pit of hell because it says, if we say that we have no sin, now hold your place, and I'd like you to go back with me to Romans chapter 7 for just a moment. Uh, Romans chapter 7. Um, <clears throat> so in order to believe this, some people have changed the meaning of scripture. Okay? But they must forget what Romans 7, I mean, we've got time, this is a wonderful chapter. But here's what the Apostle Paul talked about his own experience as a believer. Now he's writing this as a believer. Verse 15, For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, in other words, what I want to do, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. By the way, here's a test of, a, of salvation. Do you hate it when you sin? That's a, that's An unsaved person wouldn't. He says, I hate, I hate it. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. The law is good. Now it is now then, it is no more I that do it. In other words, as a believer, it's not my new nature, but sin that dwelleth in me. What is the sin that dwelleth in us? It's that old nature. Verse, look at verse 18. Clear as crystal. Paul says, For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. So our old nature, our flesh, is as wicked as ever. It never gets any better. The flesh never gets saved. The old nature never gets saved. It never gets better. It never gets reformed and nothing else. It gets left behind when we die or when the rapture comes. And praise the Lord for that. Now, do you see how, notice how important that parenthesis is? What if that wasn't there? Leave it out. Now, I'm not taking away from the Bible. I'm just making a point. If 
welcome to the set, for I know that in me dwelleth no good thing. Is that right? Is that scripturally proper? No, it's not. Because in Paul and in us dwells the Holy Spirit. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God lives in our spirit. Literally dwells there. So, very important parentheses there. Paul says, in me, that is in my flesh. There's nothing good there. Um, Dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. In other words, in us, in ourself... There is no ability to do what's good. All right. So, by the way, sin in the Bible, and Paul hits it here, it's not just doing the things we're not supposed to do. Sin is also not doing the things we are supposed to do. And that's what he's saying here. How to perform, how to do that which is good, I find not. And then he goes on to talk about the, more about that. And then he goes down to verse 12. Uh, um, I thank God, verse 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. So with the regenerated mind, Paul in Romans talks about the renewing of our mind. right? And so our renewed mind is right with God, as it were, but our nature is still has still the law of sin. Praise the Lord, chapter 8 is there about no condemnation and how to overcome the flesh and all those kinds of things. So the flesh will never be eradicated, but it can be overcome. All right. So back in 1 John, <clears throat> chapter number 1, um, notice what, what the Bible says. If we say that we have no sin, in other words, if we say there's no sin in our life, and here again, as, as, I, as I looked at this and other scriptures like Romans 7 even, and looked at some ancient commentaries, um, they all agreed that this is talking about denying the sin nature, which some do. Right? Some people, again, they say that they can reach sinless perfection. It's kind of funny, in a way. The ones who preach sinless perfection are also the ones who preach you can lose your salvation. Now, those two things, they, they don't fit together, but they do it somehow. Maybe that's how they get around losing salvation. Well, I just never sinned. <laughs> anyway, but that's the case. That's, that's an error that's out there today. All right, let's go to verse 10. Here's the second error. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, again... If we deny that we have ever committed sin, now again, in the context, he's writing to believers, and so we have to, to think and, and look at this as saying that if we say that we've never sinned as a Christian, he said, we, we make him a liar. So these people that say, and I believe it was Brother Fielder, years and years ago he was at our church, and we were talking, and he was saying about one time he stopped and gave this young, this, well not a young fellow, he gave this guy a ride, he had kind of known him a little bit, picked him up, and he's there talking, and he started witnessing to him, Brother Fielder did. And this fellow said, Preacher, you know how Brother Fielder is, I've I haven't sinned in 33 years. And Brother Fielder, in his, good, his way, said, Well, sir, that's the biggest lie I have ever heard. <laughs> Obviously. 
Nobody can say. I have. I can say it, but it'd be wrong. I haven't sinned in 33 years. When I was a kid growing up, there was a Christian song on the radio. It was called The Spirit in the Sky. I remember that song, any of you. But one of the verses was, Never been a sinner. I never sin. And I have a friend in Jesus. 1 John 8, 1, 8. 1 John 1, 10. Right there is the denial of the truth. Never been a sinner. Verse 8. Sin. Verse 10. Total denial of the truth. Anyway, a lot of people thought, oh my, that's a wonderful Christian song. That's how shallow things are, can be in our society anyway. So two denials, no sin nature and never sin. Don't sin. The Bible does notice how serious, first of all, verse 8, we deceive ourselves, we're fooling ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We're, we're just, the truth isn't there. The truth is not in us. It's, there's a lie in our heart and mind. And verse 10, even worse, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. We make him a liar. We make out God to be a liar because God's word says all have sinned, right? In fact, the whole book of 1 John is all about assurance of salvation, sin and confession and all the kinds of things, the difference between a Christian and the world, the difference between committing acts of sin occasionally, which a Christian can do, and living a life of constant sin, which a born-again person cannot do. All right? and if they do that, God will take them so far. 1 John 5.16, there's a sin unto death. And he's talking to believers there. All right? But a Christian, we, we cannot. We, you know, we just can't. We can't. Our new nature can't sin, 1 John 3. Whatsoever is born of God doth not commit sin. That's our new nature. We th and thank God these are wonderful things that, that God has provided for us. Well, and then we make him a liar if we say we've not sinned and his word is not, the word of God is not in us because it, the word of God says differently, all right? In fact, how many times does Paul and John and Peter in their writings exhort Christians to put away sin from our lives? All right, one more thing, and that's verse 9. Um, <clears throat> confession of sin. If we confess our sins, okay, who's we? Who's John talking about? Well, obviously he's talking about believers. We. And you can take it pretty far in the New Testament. The writers of the New Testament oftentimes spoke of us, we, you, and them. All right? Those out there, those in the world, those who are not saved. All right? So, if we confess our sins, that again means to admit, to acknowledge, to confess, to agree with God. Now, I think it's pretty obvious here, but just in case you're wondering, who do we confess to? We confess to God, not to a priest, not to a pastor, unless James James wrote, we didn't get to this, we'll get to it probably next week, but and James said, confess your faults one to another. In other words, as our, if our sin affects another person, then we need to go to that person and make confession. But the Bible doesn't say that we should just openly confess our sins, all right? Um, so anyway, if we confess our sins... Notice sins, plural. So the idea there is not just at the end of the day, well, Father, if I sin today, forgive me. That's not confession. 
Now, now, we can say, if I've sinned today and I'm not aware of it, God, make me aware of it and forgive me. It's, not talk, it's talking about confessing specific sins to God. Name them is the idea there. And there's, there's places, of, one of the greatest, great examples is the book of Psalms where David, among others, David confessed his specific sins to the Lord. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. And the word faithful just simply means trustworthy, reliable. He can be counted on to always keep his promise. He's faithful. And he's just. Now that's, that's a tremendous thing. Tremendous. The word just means, to, means right or righteous or upright. It's actually looking at God as a judge. Doing justice. And justice. Now to, full, to more fully understand, let's keep our place here and go to Romans 3 for just a moment. Romans chapter 3. Notice what the Bible says here. As Paul writes... Okay, for, um, starting in verse 23, very familiar verse, For all have sinned, come short of the glory of God, being justified or declared righteous freely, that is, without cost to us, by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation, that is, a means of forgiveness, satisfaction of God's holy demands, through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. So, he can be just. In other words, God can be absolutely uh, perform justice because Christ paid for every sin. Jesus was punished. He paid the penalty for every sin that's ever been committed or ever will be committed. He already fully paid the penalty. So God is just. Justice has been served. Okay? And he can all, because of that, he can also be the justifier. He can be the one who declares us righteous through the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, back to 1 John chapter 1. Um, 1 John chapter 1. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. The word forgive means to pardon, to remit, to cancel. Basically, in other words, they're gone. Forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the word cleanse there means to make clean or to purify. So our sins are gone again. They're gone. And it says all unrighteousness, each and every sin. So here unrighteousness is a word for sin, which means anything that's not good. Anything that doesn't please God is sin. And that's what he, how he cleanses us from all sin. I want us to look, please, at two more verses, two passages very quickly. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 28, here is the proper uh, proper approach, not reproach, approach to this matter of sin. 
interesting. This is what biblical confession is all about. Proverbs 28.13 says, all right, Proverbs 28.13, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. So it's not like, you know, Father, I've committed this sin, I lied, forgive me till I do it again. No, it's, Father, I've done this sin of lying, forgive me and please help me not to do it anymore. Forsake. So confession is not a license, a clear, you know, a clear record and a chance to do it all again. You know, Jesus told the woman taking adultery, go and sin no more. Don't keep doing the same thing. Now we might fall into it again. And if we do, confess. But the, our, our, our attitude is, God, I, I, don't, I did this. I hate this. I don't want to ever do it again. Help me to forsake this. All right? Now, let's go over to um, John 13, and then we'll be finished. John chapter 13. <clears throat> John chapter 13. Now, this is where Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Some people think we should literally wash each other's feet, but that's really that Jesus had a much deeper lesson to give the disciples. In fact, there's two great lessons, and the first lesson is oftentimes overlooked, or can be. And so he's, you know, the Bible tells about Jesus. He took a basin of water, took a towel, began to wash his disciples' feet and dry them. And in verse six, then cometh he to Simon Peter. Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. In other words, Peter, you don't understand this yet, but you will. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Now why did he say that? Well, he felt like that, was, that wasn't right, that Jesus shouldn't wash his feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. So Jesus, Peter said, okay, Lord, I'll, I'll, I'll take you, I'll, I'll wash me everywhere. Jesus said to him, he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. So he's talking about Judas being unclean. But what he's saying is this. The, the bathing, the washing that Peter wanted, is an illustration of salvation. We're washed in the, by, in the, by, the, by the blood of Christ and in the, by the Spirit of God. So that's a washing. That's the washing of salvation. But he says, if you've already been washed, you don't need to wash all over again, but you need your feet washed. What, because what happened in those days? They walked around with their sandals or whatever, and they walked on dusty streets, and their feet got dirty, and they had to be washed. And so that's talking about what First John 1, 9 is talking about. We need our feet cleansed. Our walk gets dirty when we sin as a Christian. That's what he's talking about here. To Peter, a wonderful illustration that yes, after we're saved, we can still sin, but we don't need the whole cleansing again. We just need our feet cleansed. We just need the defilement of sin taken away. And that in the New Testament, that walking and feet are always, you know, talked about as our Christian, our daily lives. And so we need that cleansing. Now, because what does sin do? Sin in a Christian's life breaks our fellowship with God, quenches and grieves the Holy Spirit, 
and withholds God's blessing. And the longer it goes unconfessed, the more it grieves, quenches, more it breaks fellowship, the more it withholds the blessing of God. And so when should we confess? Immediately, as soon as we realize that we have sinned, we should we should go to the Lord and confess it. And, I, and it would be appropriate for us also at the end of the day, to, before we go to sleep, just ask the Lord, God, if... if if I have sinned today and I, I didn't confess it, please bring it to my mind and, 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 and forgive me, you know, that sort of thing. Um, also, as Christians, we ought not to be glib about, um, you know, about this matter of sin and confession and forgiveness and cleansing. So part of our prayer, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ, when the disciples ask him to teach them to pray, part of the model prayer is, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And so we need to have that. And God promises that he will, he will confess our sin. You know what? Peter said, how often shall my brother sin against me and I confess him? Till seven times? Jesus said, I say not unto thee till seven times, but until seventy times seven. So we don't have a right to say, well, I've forgiven you four times. That's it. <laughs> you know, because God continually forgives his children. Do you suppose over the years that you've been a Christian, you've sinned 490 times? I know I have. All right? And so we keep confessing. We keep asking God for forgiveness. We keep asking for the power, the strength, the help to, um, to not continue in our sins. Praise the Lord for that. So as you pray, it's very important every one of us as believers, that we spend time confessing our sins. Again, it's best immediately when we realize that we've sinned. And then one last thought. If you're not saved today, you need to confess to God that you are a lost sinner and call upon the name of the Lord for salvation. We can help with that. We can tell you more if you need to know more. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, we're thankful for this time we can have in the word of God. We're so thankful for the, the saving work of Christ. Thank you for his precious blood that he shed, the life that he gave. Thankful that he rose again from the grave. We're thankful, Lord, for our salvation. And we thank thee also for the forgiveness of sins and how we need that. Father, just really pray for those who are deceived about that with all the errors that are going about today, people going around claiming they've never sinned and haven't sinned and, and no sin nature. And, and Father, the word of God is so clear about these things. So help us, Father, we pray. If there are those who need to be saved, Lord, please work in their lives. If there's a Christian who needs to get right with God, we pray that that would happen as well. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's take our hymn books and close the service. Hymn number 196. All right, 196. And shall we stand, please? What a wonderful hymn. Um, Blessed be the fountain of blood. And, it's, and so think about these words as we sing. And if there's somebody here today and you've never accepted Christ, never been saved, we'd love to talk to you. Or as a believer, if the Lord has spoken to your heart and you need to confess or there's something in your life that needs to get right, this is your opportunity. So let's sing the verses and we'll see how the Lord works. All right? Blessed be the fountain of blood to a world of sinners revealed. 
Blessed be the dear Son of God, only by His stripes we are healed. Though I've wandered far from His fold, bringing to my heart pain and woe, wash me in the blood of the Lamb, and I shall be whiter than snow, whiter than the snow, whiter than the snow. Wash me in the blood of the Lamb, and I shall be whiter than snow. Thorny was the crown that he wore, and the cross his body o'ercame. Grievous were the sorrows he bore, but he suffered thus not in vain. May I to that fountain be led, May to cleanse my sins he belong. Wash me in the blood that he shed, and I shall be whiter than snow. Whiter than the snow. Whiter than the snow. Wash me in the blood of the Lamb, and I shall be whiter than snow. Father, I have wandered from thee, often has my heart gone astray. Crimson do my sins seem to me, water cannot wash them away. Jesus, to that fountain of thine, leaning on thy promise I go. Cleanse me by thy washing divine, and I shall be whiter than snow, whiter than the snow, whiter than the snow. Wash me in the blood of the Lamb, and I shall be whiter than snow. Isn't that a wonderful hymn? Uh, think about that, please, even as we leave today, how important it is to be cleansed continually, daily, in the, in, by the blood of the Lord Jesus. Father in heaven, how we thank thee for these great scriptures we've looked at today, and especially about the cleansing through the blood of the Lamb, who suffered for us, gave his life, thankful for salvation in him, Father, how important this is. We pray that for here and throughout this country, all over the world today, when lost folks are confronted with the gospel, that the spirit of the living God would convict them and draw them to the Savior. And for us as believers, Lord, help us not 
to be as those the Bible speaks of, the fools who make a mock at sin. May we be serious. Father, may we confess to thee as believers. We're thankful for the cleansing. We just thank thee for all that we have in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thanks for the, the avenue of prayer, for the throne of grace. And so, Lord, continue to watch over us, we pray. Guide us. Give everybody safety traveling to their homes. Bless the afternoon. Bless the service tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.